What are we grateful for this morning? Health. Oh, yeah. You. <laughs> well, you can have the same answer. Starting our day out with a consciousness of gratitude multiplies the gratitude because once I start to begin to think about what I'm grateful for, more and more things come up. You know, so just opening my eyes up and being free of pain before I even get out to bed, having a bed to sleep in, having a roof over my head. Having a hot shower, clean water, not living in Austin. But you know, it's about being fortunate enough, grateful to be fortunate enough to not live where anger and hatred is overt. We know that there are people here who are angry at other people here because of the way they look or the, what they worship or what their preference, sexual preferences are. But the one thing I've appreciated about North Carolina and especially Hendersonville is that I know that in spite of the fact that there are people who live here who have many different points of view about who's the best and who should not be here, they keep to themselves, you know. They they have a view, but they don't stand on my lawn and shout protest. And I'm grateful for that. Uh, we've been working with the five aggregates of clinging. And today I would like to read, share some information that is expressed in the uh, introduction to the book of aggregates in the Samyutta Nikaya. And I'm hoping that this information will further clear up things within you that you might have some questions about or issues about or wanderings about. And anywhere in the reading, if you have a question or if you want to Stretch something out, just raise your hand and we'll work with that. That's what this is for. Again, I'm hoping that everyone is beginning to be mindful of the aggregates and the clinging that is underneath the surface of all of us about those aggregates. Because you will find that whenever you are in distress, whenever you are in discontent, there's clinging. And if you discover that and disassociate yourself from that, everything else is fine. Everything else works out well. It says that the Kanda Samyutta, which is the chapter on the aggregates, stresses in various ways that the five aggregates are dukkha, suffering. A point clearly articulated by the Buddha already in his first sermon as he states, 
In brief, the five aggregates subject to clinging are suffering. The aggregates are suffering because they tend to affliction and cannot be made to conform with our desires. Because attachment to them leads to sorrow, lamentation, pain, displeasure, and despair. Because their change induces fear, distress, and anxiety. Even more pointedly, the five aggregates are already suffering simply because they are impermanent. And this is one of the things that we must always remind ourselves of. The things that we're grateful for this morning might not be associated with us this afternoon. And it's about learning how to be okay with that too. That's that whole practice of equanimity. This morning I had hot water. This evening I don't. And because they're impermanent, they can never fulfill our hopes with perfect, perfect happiness and security. It just ain't going to happen. You know, if you're looking for evenness, it has to be because you're willing to understand the way the world and reality works. That it's going to be this way sometimes, and it's going to be that way sometimes. Sometimes people will love us. Sometimes the same people will hate us. It's the way it works. That's the way impermanence is. That's the duality of nature. Has nothing to do with the fact that, oh, you're, you're a bad parent, you're a bad mother, you're a bad spouse, you're a bad relative. It just has to do with impermanence and duality. While they give us pleasure and joy, which is the gratification in them, eventually they must change. Now see, this is the point we must remember. It has nothing to do, it's not personal. You know, they're not picking on me. They've got to change. All of us have changed. All of us are different than we were this morning. Eventually they must change. Not they have a choice. Not that they will but they must change and pass away. And this instability is the danger perpetually concealed within them. Though we habitually assume that we are in control of the aggregates. And again, what are the aggregates? Form, feeling, perception, mental formation. Sense consciousness. Sense consciousness. The truth, in truth, they are perpetually devouring us, making us their hapless victims. To identify with the aggregates and seek fulfillment in them is to be like a man who employs as his servant a vicious murderer out to take his life. Now, it's not to sit around and bemoan the fact that this precious relationship or this wealth or this good fortune that I'm 
enjoying right now is going to leave. Well, you know, that, that's clinging, isn't it? That's, <laughs> that's clinging. And it's not that you have to give everything up, renounce everything, and leave it. You know, give it away, give all your wealth to your relatives. Although that would make them happy, but you don't have to do that either. It's just living with the truth that everything is impermanent. And this beautiful thing that I have today in my hand that flew in my window is going to fly away. And so I don't try to hold on to it. I don't try to keep it. I don't try to make it mine. It comes. I enjoy the beauty of it. I enjoy its song. And when it lifts, it's gone. And the gratitude then is for that. And the understanding is now, or the love generated from that, is that now someone else is also enjoying that song. That the the cheer, the good nature is being spread around. The five aggregates are the objective domain of the defilements that bind living beings to the round of existence. This is their importance. This is the importance of their understanding. That participating with the aggregates, identifying with the aggregates, wanting to be with thinking that we are form or feeling or perception or thinking, is the thing that continues the round of existence because consciousness will flow. Particularly the taints and clinging. Whatever in the world one might cling to, it is only form, feeling, perception, volitional formations, and consciousness. And and consciousness that one clings to for this reason, and consciousness that one clings to. So, whatever in the world we are clinging to, it is only those five aggregates. You know, we think it is love, we think it is money, we think it is life, we think it is, but it's only those five aggregates that we're clinging to. And when we understand that this too shall pass. Again, it's not about being mournful that, well, I'm going to lose this thing, I'm going to give this thing up. It is about enjoying it while it's present with us and not having any concern at all for when it is going to go. It's going to go, but when it's going to go, we have no idea. The seven people who were crushed under the walkway thought that they would be home that evening. They thought that they were going to reach their destination. So it doesn't have anything to do necessarily with anger in an individual, with mass shootings, with hostages, with anger at institutions, the five young ladies, the three young ladies out in California. It doesn't have anything to do necessarily with people. It's just the way things are. Clinging to the five aggregates occurs 
in two principal modes, which we might call appropriation and identification. So this is the way we can identify. You see, because sometimes they sneak up on us. It's very tricky. You know, so it says, occurs in two principal modes, which we might call appropriation and identification. In clinging to the aggregates, one either grasps them with desire and lust and assumes possession of them, or one identifies with them, taking them as a basis for conceit, for views, and for one's real self. So either it's identity, well, I'll keep reading here. Let me see what it says here. In a phrase often met within the Kanda Samyutta, we are prone to think of the aggregates, this is mine, this I am, this is myself. This is mine represents the act of appropriation. And all we had to do is think of colonization. That continues to this day. Here the notion this is mine represents the act of of appropriation, a function of craving. The notion this I am and this is myself represents two types of identification. The former expressive of grief, of conceit, and the latter of views. Okay, that's what I wanted to share this morning. And since I didn't get any interruptions or any any hands up, it seems that everyone understood what it was about. So the whole practice or the whole tool that mindfulness can be used for is to use your discontent as an experience of noting. Not that I'm suffering. That's the wrong wrong thing in my opinion. It is to note why. To find the clinging, to find to go in and, and, and persuade the experience to reveal to you the reason why the experience is the way it is. You know, when we're so out of sorts with somebody and we lay it on, we lay it at their feet, you're the reason why I feel the way I do. And when we are able to step out of that blame mode and go, okay, this is all my stuff. It feels like it came from someone else. It feels like because someone else said something or did something that I'm in this place of discontent or distress. But it's all my stuff. Now let me see what I'm doing inappropriately that causes, that has caused me to lose my peace, 
my stability that has caused me to lose my mind. That's what you want to find out. That's what you want to sit down and consider. Why did I lose my mind? And continue to just reflect until you find the grasping and the clinging, the eyeing and the meing and the mind that you are creating by an appropriate relationship with your aggregates. Is anyone here still grappling with any one of the aggregates as far as identification is concerned? Yes, Ruth. I really struggle with perception. I can deal with almost everything else, but perception just—it just seems so ingrained to me. Okay. So if I if I, I can reverse engineer it, so if I'm out walking and I hear a train going by, mm-hmm. I immediately think, "Oh, there's a train." Yeah. Instead of saying there's a sound this is right you know uh, I can then get to that point and I can stop thinking oh that's a train and think that's a sound mm-hmm. but my first response always is oh that's a train I don't know I don't know how to do that I don't know how to get away from that one of the things that that worked that helped me was to be able to identify the unreliability of perception. You know, it's like, why do I want to cling to the validity of something that 50% of the time on a good day is, in, is, is incorrect? <laughs> you know, we can sit down and have a conversation with a friend, a good friend, a trusting friend. And we can talk about last Wednesday, but we'll have a different point of view about what happened last Wednesday. That'll turn into shouting matches and finding sticks and stones because we are so faithful to our perception. If we can just go back and remember the times that those experiences occurred and whether there was a settlement, an agreement on what truly happened on that day because we know that we can replicate the same thing. We've had so, you know, the psychological experiences where you have somebody run across the stage in a crowded room and do something crazy and then ask people, well, what happened? Primarily it's because of the fact that perception as a function operates in sound bites. It doesn't absorb the whole experience. It absorbs a bite of it, a one or a zero, and says, oh, yeah. It doesn't look at the whole thing. And we know from experience that if we don't look at the whole thing, we miss something. We miss a nuance. We, we miss an intention. And we miss, we incorrectly label it as 
something threatening perhaps or something insulting or something unloving or unkind. But when we evaluate our own experiences, when we think about and analyze our own experiences, we realize that what we meant to say, we didn't say. What we meant to do, we didn't do. You know, we had the intention, but it didn't come out quite right. So we're always saying, I didn't mean to say that, or I didn't say that, this is what I meant. So again, the bottom line for me is refusing to hitch my wagon to something that's so unreliable. That's subject to change, too. You know, we, we think that memory is concretized, that, that it is, you know. But what I remember as very distasteful, like Brussels sprouts and broccoli, okra are things that I enjoy now. But if I was a servant to my perception, my memory, then those are things that I would never touch. How do we make up? How do we make friends with people that we were told we should hate? It's because we've changed our perception. You know, we, we've, we've modified it. We've, we, we've actually disagreed with it. We've decided that we have a better take on it than our perception does. And again, that goes back to unreliability. So this, this is what helped me, you know, not holding on to something that I can't have faith in. You know, I can't have belief in. So you can try that. Yes. You know, I'm working on lifetime. Wait for the mic. <laughs> lifetime working on uh, the perfectionism, and it's just this kind of, and it, I think I become much much better. But now, uh, one frustration that I'm oh, I'm frustrated with myself is that I really observe what I'm doing. And I see that uh, habitual tendencies mm -hmm. there. And somehow knowing, understanding, and yet I'm doing it. So in a real time, yesterday, for instance, I was going to do something, but I see that I just don't want to do that. So I put myself in uh, just watching you know, news or something. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just, I see myself diverting, right? So mm -hmm. then I'm telling myself, okay, just, uh, you know, maybe this evening, okay, you just do that. Then I'm talking to myself, well, why I'm still doing that? Or so this is a conversation between 
myself that observing my behavior. And sometimes I notice how long it's going to take to be awakened and enlightened from this same habitual tendencies. So what's the best way to practice? I mean, I think that Tai Chi, Qigong, also walking. I just started walking 10, day, 10 days ago, one hour a day. These helps, but I just feel so behind. That's that judgmental mind from for myself. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's all perception, right? It's all the way we look at it. And I can look at it like I'm being behind because, yeah. because I want to be further ahead. So that, that puts me... <laughs> in a fantasy of being behind. But I can also say that the mindfulness that I'm displaying right now, the conversation that I'm having, I never had before, which puts me ahead. (laughs) So the glass being half full or half empty, do I want to be ahead or do I want to be behind? It's up to me. You know, it's up to me, it's up to me. I construct that reality. Nothing, nothing else does. I use all of these sense gates as tools to have a relationship with reality. But I realize that I don't have to be beholden to anything that arises. If it does not bring me contentment, I can always change my point of view. Because all points of view are as authentic and truthful as any other's. Are they not true? <laughs> Who says so? You do? Well, then they're, they're not. But if I say so, then they are. Yeah. <laughs> and they will stay that way until they're not. <laughs> That's what. <laughs> until I change my mind. I see that all the time, that I struggle with it, and then I notice a change, you know, just like that moment of change comes. But that moment of change comes at an unexpected time. That's true. Right. So knowing all these things that I'm, like, talking to myself and laughing at myself, and Mm -hmm. it's it's just kind of um, like a comedy but at the same time that sometimes I'm frustrated. <laughs> yeah, the, the frustration comes from what? From clutching. Yeah. From, from desire, from wanting desire, something different yes. to be than what is. Yes. And what we can do is always just accept what is in the moment and again learn from it and change it, reconstruct it. The more I practice, the more it becomes difficult because I see more. Okay. <laughs> Accept that too. <laughs> so don't don't be so hard on yourself. Don't be so judgmental. Um. Today I was practicing a qigong set, and mm-hmm. um, and then Bob came in, and and um. What's occurring for me now is the change process, and what occurs in time, what is happening 
beyond time and space and um, having the sensation that I have aches and pains and and when to abandon the sensation of aches and pains and then uh, this seems for me to be somewhere in time I wake up and I feel wow this feels so was, I didn't say explicitly but I woke up this morning and this body um, uh, felt refreshed it woke up of its own accord and when it started moving uh, it was very pleasant Mm-hmm. So just working with the sensations and the the non the place where there's a non sensation that allows things to heal, to soften, uh, yet working with my own uh, attachment to uh, uh, the sensations that may may not. Working with the ones that are more beneficial and not keeping the ones that uh, um, would bring those tensions back. Okay. And just You got it do- figured out? Because <laughs> we, we, we started way over here, and then we came way over here. You got it figured out? As best as I can in the moment. That's all that counts. Um, That's all that counts. And you keep working with it until it doesn't work anymore. And then change. That's all. It's, it's not rocket science. It really isn't. It, it, it seems complicated because we want to hold on to the now. We want to hold on to the permanency of what's going on right now. Because we think that there's a possibility that it might change for the worse. Mm. But it also might change for the better. True. I can feel even better than I felt better with today. And then we begin to realize that any day is a good day. You know, even even when I'm in bed and I can't roll over and I'm waiting for someone to come in and turn me over, there's someone to turn me over. Every day is a good day. If I think it is. And then I see the the nebulousness of reality. I see the fact that it's not permanent. It's not written in stone. I can manipulate it. Mm. What can I manipulate it with? How I think about it. And when I realize that I can always find something good in the now, it frees me from all of my fears, from all of my clutchings, from all of my holding on to things. Because there's always something good. Always happening right now, always. But if I'm looking over here for it, expecting it to happen over here with this person at this time. (laughs) Good luck with that one. Good luck with that one. (laughs) 
Good luck with Thank that. Thank you. One. The wise side of the room. <laughs> so, anything to share? Talking about about that psychology experience, I I remembered being in that experiment and being in a psychology class and somebody bursting into the room and just acting crazy and upbraiding the professor and criticizing him, putting him down. Finally, he leaves, and of course, then he says, I want everybody to write down uh, what you just saw, and everybody saw something different. But what I was reflecting on was not so much that. It was, and I don't know how I remember this, but my consciousness, as all of that was going on, was narrow. It was reduced, and I was scanning in nanosecond bursts Mm -hmm. for a frame of reference, for some place to put this, Mm -hmm. rather than, and more recently in my life, I've had experiences of expansive consciousness Mm -hmm. in meditation Mm -hmm. that doesn't have to label anything, it doesn't have to categorize anything, Mm -hmm. and there's been an okayness about it. Um, So I'm struck by the difference in the level of consciousness between those two phenomena. Okay, so what makes it different? What makes it different is where I reside, where I'm parked in consciousness. And if I'm still I, then there's still locality, there's still space and time. And so I'm going to see things differently. I'm going to see things linearly. Whereas when I'm learning or when I'm able to access consciousness without me, without an I, where then it becomes non-local, timeless, and right now. Mm. Okay. And therefore, because there's no time, there's no linearity, I can see everything because everything is right now. There is no other time than right now. And that's what you're fortunate enough to be with, in my opinion, right now. And I also see the importance, and I I see the the wheels already turning to try to be there all the time or to get back there. And, and that's, uh, that's desire. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's clutching and right. grabbing. It's all pretty funny. You know, <laughs> I mean, it really is. It's like, it's like waking up and realizing you're at the carnival, you know, <laughs> and these are clowns. <laughs> And then you find out that you're the clown. (laughs) And then it's about learning how to laugh at yourself, right? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. This is great. I'm going to resist 
saying, I hope we can do it again soon. Um, we've been working with a meditation technique where we start out by watching breath, being aware of awareness of breath. Yeah, for two, three, four minutes, just to give the mind some settling down time. Okay, then we take our attention off the breath and just put it on the mind. And watch for the thought that comes, if one comes. Don't force one to come. Don't manufacture a thought. Just watch the mind. See what happens. Okay? That's, that's it. That's the sandwich. When it comes, watch it come. Watch it abide. Watch it go. Come back to the breath. Then go back to the mind. And when a thought comes, watch it come. Watch it abide. Watch it go. That's the assignment. <laughs> don't, don't make it complicated. I'm sorry. Does abiding include proliferating? <laughs> no. No, he had to ask. No. During the meditation, I was wondering what your thoughts were on the actual physical breathing process. Uh, Are you, uh, do you profess breathing in and out through the nose throughout? Uh, do you profess deep breathing as opposed to uh, more shallow breathing? Or do you just say whatever works for you? Eventually I arrive at that point, but usually I say don't make it so complicated. You know, because we want to narrow our attention to something as focused as we can be. And if I'm requiring of myself to use the whole body, then I'm still here. If I say I want to watch the breath right at the nostrils or right at the upper lip, then I reduce it from here to here. And that's what I really want to do. That's what I really want to achieve. It is not that important in this exercise to be ruled with breathing techniques, pranayamas, things like that. That's, that's not this. I'm, I'm more concerned with reducing the vision of mind so it'll settle, so it won't be all out here. And it'll come into one little teeny tiny space where only one thing is happening, where it only has to pay attention to one thing, where it doesn't have to be thinking about this and that, this and that. Okay? Ready?
Okay, so the first question is, were you able to do the exercise? Yes. What did you notice? Colors. What else did you notice? Other than colors? Yes. Um, what, that what awareness did you conclude? From seeing the colors? Or awareness? Well, just tell so me. So when I noticed when I was focusing on the colors that I didn't have thought about coming about because I was more focused on the color than I was about the thoughts. All right, so you were aware of colors. Yeah. But you didn't think about colors. I don't think so. All right. I'm, I'm going to yeah. tag on that, but I okay. want to go see wherever. What did you, were you able to still slow the mind down? That's the first thing. Were you able to take your attention or awareness off the breath and put it on the mind? Were you able to do that? I was able to do that without a microphone. <laughs> I was able to take my breath, my mind, my thoughts, I guess, from the breath to the mind. But I couldn't slow down my mind. It was still pretty busy. Okay. All right. For that particular situation, you want if if you find that when you take your attention off your breath and just put it on mind, wherever you see mind as being local, and you are still thinking, then put it back on the breath again. Okay. Um, What this exercise is designed to do, what this meditation is designed to do, is to, one, settle the mind, and of course that's what all meditation is designed to do, settle the mind. But then it is to take your awareness and place it on a different place, on a different object, which is that space of mindfulness, that space of where I perceive mind to be. And then, without interruptions, hopefully, I will see the arising of thought. But when I see the arising of thought, and I see it abide, and I see it go away, and I see it come, and I see it abide, and I see it go away, one of the things that is an appropriate awareness is that I'm not thinking these thoughts. And then what that ushers me into, what that opens up for me, 
is being able to have an awareness of thought without a thinker. And that takes me out of the picture. Then this is a, a very quick way, a very elemental way of entering that space of consciousness without I. Okay. Having that experience of losing me because I am not thinking these thoughts. And when I realize that potential, that ability to do that, then I can go and hear a train without conceptualizing train, which means then that I've created the space where there is hearing without a hearer, another way of dropping the ego, the conceitfulness of I. And the more you work that, like everything else we do, the more you do it, the easier it will become to enter that space of no nothingness. Now this doesn't mean nothing because you've got all this stuff going on. It just means that there's no I there. It is void of, it is empty of, it is nothing for the I to rest on. The I has nothing to do. I am not doing anything. The sage does without doing, but nothing gets undone. It's because the sage does not do it. He does not do it with that conceitfulness of I. I am doing this. And when I'm not doing it, I see it getting done, but I am not doing it. Okay. I've been doing this practice uh, quite a while, and I, what I notice is that... Uh, which, which practice have you been doing quite a while? The watching mind. Okay. And uh, the more and more practicing... Just it doesn't go to the second, third uh, thoughts. So I see it, that object, and then goes away. Just like okay, it's like. But before, when the mind is busy, I see something, and then that will bring some other things. Like I think now I can see that when I remove the eye factor, mm -hmm. just the. Uh, observing, some kind of observing, mm -hmm. then everything becomes the same. So now when I'm walking, whether it's a tree or the bird or whatever, I'm just watching, but doesn't bring a lot of, you know, mm -hmm. the stories attached. Mm -hmm. So that was the yeah, that's that's the thing to, again, one of the things to realize is that the stories come when I am there. Yeah. And I begin to conceive, and I right. begin to conceptualize. I begin to identify. Yeah. I yeah. do this. I do this. When I am absent, yeah. there just is isness. Right. That's all. 
It just is, isness. And when we get to that place where we can consistently and easily access it, remember what nibbana is. Nibbana is the absence of I. Because it's the I, it's the I that suffers. It's not awareness or consciousness that suffers. It is that you are doing something to me. You know, I. When there's suffering, there's a self to suffer. And what we're learning and processing are exercises that help us to easily remove the I. And then we realize that I am not I. I'm not the I that I thought I was. That's it. You want to close it out, John? Uh, no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> uh, uh, so I started watching the breath and um, um, and then it perceived it would start doing it the breath start just doing it of its own self or however that occurs and I still I, I'm just I'm wondering if I'm supposed to have thoughts uh, or if I'm doing something not to allow them okay ho ho let's back up so breath. you're not supposed to have thoughts you're supposed to watch the thoughts that occur they're not occurring so it's not you having thoughts. That's the point that you're becoming aware of when you do this exercise. That, wait a minute, here's a thought. And I didn't say, I think I'll have a thought. So you don't identify as yourself, or you don't identify it as the manifester of, of this thought that I see. It came from somewhere. Here it is. I see it. And I see it go, and I see it come, and I see it go. But I did not do anything. It, yeah, like I, they would, I okay, misinterpret. Sometimes I think they're supposed to be occurring. Well, that's only because that's what we've always done. We, you know, I think, therefore I am. Right. Right. And so every voice that's I hear, I think it's mine. And that's why I'm so readily willing to accept the suggestion that it makes. Because I think it's me talking to me, telling me the best thing to do. And this is what we're learning to put space between. Space. We're, we're, we're learning, mindfulness is about space. It's about going, hmm, let me think about this before I yell at you. Let me think about this before I say the words that I'm going to say. Let me think about this before I get my AR-15 and come to the school. Let me think about this. Space. And this is what we're learning to do. As a, a rising of wisdom. Because in that space that I give it, that's when the Intuition arises. The truth arises. Because the truth doesn't come from me. It's not my truth. We argue about that whole thing about who's telling the truth. My truth is better than your truth. No. 
be willing to lay down your truth and listen. Okay? All right. This has been great, and I'm so happy. May all beings be liberated from suffering. May we be well. May we be happy. May we be peaceful. I'm grateful for good friends. Thank you so much, all of you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.